Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 21. We'll begin at verse 10 of 2 Samuel chapter 21. Let's read together. And Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until it rained on them from the sky. And she allowed neither the birds of the sky to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. When it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done, then David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the open square of Bethshane, where the Philistines had hanged them on the day the Philistines struck down Saul in Gilboa. He brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there, and they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. They buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin in Zelah, in the grave of Kish, his father. Thus they did all that the king commanded. And after that, God was moved by prayer for the land. I heard the story about a mother who was concerned about her only son going off to college. So she wrote this letter to the college president. Dear sir, my son has been accepted for admission to your college and soon he will be leaving me. I am writing to ask that you give your personal attention to the selection of his roommate. I want to be sure that his roommate is not the kind of person who uses foul language or tells off-color jokes, smokes, drinks, or chases after sex. I hope you will understand why I am appealing to you directly. You see, this is the first time my son will be away from home, except for his three years in the Marine Corps. Humor columnist Irma Bombeck wrote, the easiest part of being a mother is giving birth. The hardest part is showing up for it each day. She went on, she said, Mother's Day is traditionally the day when children give something back to their mothers for all the spit they have produced to wash dirty faces, all the old gum they have held in their hands, all the noses they have wiped, and all the bloody knees they have made well with a kiss. This is the day mothers are rewarded for washing all those sheets in the middle of the night, driving kids to school when they miss the bus, and enduring all the football games in the rain. It's appreciation day for making your children finish something they said they couldn't do, not believing them when they said, I hate you, and sharing their good times and their bad times. She finished up by saying the cards probably won't reflect it, But what they're trying to say is, thank you for showing up. Now, I'm aware Mother's Day is a difficult day for some people. It's difficult for those women who want to be married and are still single. It's difficult for those who would like to be mothers and yet have never been able to have children. And while I want to be sensitive to those for whom this day is a struggle, at the same time, I don't want to diminish or ignore the amazing gift called mother. It's safe to say that even if our experience has been challenging and less than ideal, each one of us has a mother. 
on this day that has been set aside to honor mothers, I want to take a few minutes and talk to you about a mother's love. When I was reflecting on this subject, my mind was drawn to this little-known mother tucked away in the pages of the Old Testament, a mother by the name of Rizpah. The story of Rizpah and the love and devotion she demonstrates toward her children serves as both an inspiration and a challenge on this Mother's Day. It's here in the text from 2 Samuel chapter 21 that we find, first of all, a mother's love recorded. And in order to understand what's going on, you need some background information. You'll find that information in the book of Joshua chapter 9. Shortly after Israel entered the promised land and defeated Jericho under the leadership of Joshua, a group of men disguised as foreigners approached the camp to make a treaty. They showed up with worn and frayed clothing, holes in their sandals, old patched water bottles, stale bread, pretending to be from a far country. So without checking their story and without consulting the Lord, Joshua and the people of Israel swore to do them no harm and to always protect them. Well, just a few days later, they discovered they had been deceived. The Gibeonites were really next-door neighbors in the land of Canaan, but the treaty had already been ratified. Even though the Gibeonites had lied to them, Israel was bound by the oath they had taken. The Gibeonites were forced to be their subjects, but they were under the protection of Israel. Now, fast forward 400 years. Saul is now king over Israel, and things have changed in the nation. Saul broke the treaty and attempted to wipe out the Gibeonites. Though unsuccessful, the treaty uh, entered, into the, entered, entered into in the name of the Lord had been broken, and great harm had been inflicted upon the Gibeonites by the nation of Israel. Now, when chapter 21 of the book of 2 Samuel opens, Saul has been slain, David is now the ruling monarch, but the nation of Israel has been suffering from a famine for three years. Something about this famine causes David to realize this isn't just the result of climate change or adverse weather conditions. There is a spiritual component to this famine. And when David questions the Lord about it, the Lord reveals that the famine has come as a punishment from him for the action of Saul breaking the oath taken in his name. Hearing this, David called the Gibeonite leaders to the throne room and asked them what he could do to make up for what Saul had done. The Gibeonites didn't want money or to be released from their servitude as water carriers and timber cutters, but they do want a measure of vengeance. They request that seven sons from the house of Saul be given to them for execution. Some scholars believe that these young men, these seven young men, had been involved in the murder of their Gibeonite kin, and the people wanted them brought to justice. David agreed, and the seven men, five of them the sons of Saul's oldest daughter, Merib, and two of them the sons of Rizpah, who was Saul's concubine, these seven men were hanged. That word for hanged can also mean impaled, meaning that it's likely that these men were impaled on sharp poles and left to die over a period of days. It's a gruesome scene, and probably not one you thought you were going to hear about in a message on Mother's Day. <clears throat> and yet... Here is where you will find a most incredible demonstration of a mother's love. You see this love demonstrated, first of all, in her protection. I don't know how many times I've read this story over the years and just skimmed over it without pausing long enough to think about what's really going on. For most of her life, this woman, Rizpah, has been victimized. 
She never had the status of the wife of the king. She was his concubine, essentially a sex slave. Few rights, little power, always away from the public eye, a pawn, a helpless victim. Now, the death of her two sons left her a childless widow, which was a terrible, terribly vulnerable position for a woman in ancient times. It was the law of that day that burial was prohibited for anyone put to death in this brutal manner of hanging or being impaled on a sharp pole. They had to hang exposed to the elements until the vultures picked their bodies clean or the beasts tore them down. And yet, this loving mother determined that she was not going to let the bodies of her sons be desecrated. Rather than mourn for herself or give in to being a helpless victim, she set out to guard the remains of her boys. She might be powerless to stop their execution, but she was determined to do what little she could to keep them from the ultimate disgrace, which was no burial. So what she did, you read it, it's all here in chapter 21. I, we didn't read all the whole story for the sake of time, but she set up a small tent of sackcloth out among the rocks, the jackals, the hyenas, the snakes, and the vultures. There in that forsaken outpost, this mother stood guard. She protected the bodies of her sons. Verse 10 says it like this. She allowed neither the birds of the sky to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. I want to tell you, this isn't the action of a demented maniac. It's the action of a devoted mother. She wasn't allowed to move the bodies of her sons, but she could keep the buzzards and the jackals away from them. Day and night, she watched over the bodies of her sons, determined to do whatever was necessary to keep their bodies from being desecrated. On April 15, 2015, when the riots in Baltimore, Maryland were still in action over the Freddie Gray situation, one mother set herself apart from a host of others. Her 16-year-old son was in a crowd of rioters throwing rocks at the Baltimore police. Toye Graham ran up when she recognized her son and grabbed him and physically removed him from the rock throwers. When she was asked about what she did, she downplayed her role, said she was just being a parent, was very frustrated and embarrassed that her son would be involved in rioting against the police in Baltimore. During several of the interviews, she just expressed her need, the need for her to be a strong disciplinarian in her home because she was a single parent. Later, her son was interviewed, and he admitted that he shouldn't have been involved, and he was now thankful that his mom had embarrassed him in front of the whole world because she wanted to protect him from the bad influence he'd gotten caught up with. Say what you want to about this mother's methods. Her goal was simple. I'm going to protect my child at all costs. This Baltimore mom, like the story of Rizpah, ought to both inspire and challenge each and every parent today to be a protector for your children. Whether you want to admit it or not, the children of this world are at risk. There is a spiritual enemy that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. See, you aren't wrestling against flesh and blood. You're fighting against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, and they're after the soul of your children. If you don't have children of your own, I want to tell you, you can still be a spiritual mother, a spiritual father, a spiritual grandparent, and you can stand in the gap for the soul of even those who have wandered from the faith. You can drive off the birds of prey, drive away the animals that seek to destroy them. See, I want to tell you, as long as they're in your household, you protect them. 
Instruct them in the word, in the ways of the Lord. Build the word of God into their lives. Monitor their relationships. Monitor their social media and their online activity. And when they move out on their own, you still protect them. You don't ever stop. Stand your ground against the forces of darkness in prayer. Combat the evil one that comes against them with the proclamation of the word of God over their lives. You build a hedge of spiritual protection around your loved ones. Protect your children with your words, but also build righteousness and godliness into them by the example you set before them. See, faith is better caught than taught. Your children are much more influenced by what they see you do than than by what they hear you say. You got quiet in this Presbyterian church. See, if you tell them prayer is important, but they never hear you pray, they're going to follow your example rather than your words. If you say the Bible is an important guide to living, but they don't see or hear you reading the Bible or consulting it in your time of need, guess what? They're going to follow your example rather than your words. If you say attending the house of worship is important, but you allow any and everything to preempt your attendance, they're going to follow your example rather than your words. If you say it's important to be giving and generous, but your checkbook tells a different story, they're going to follow your example rather than your words. If you say that God's way is the only right way, but rarely give him a thought as you go about your daily activities, uh, they're going to follow your example rather than your words. You don't protect your children by taking an opinion poll before you make a decision. You're the leader, so lead. And understand that leading the right way and making godly decisions isn't always popular. So what if the kid kicks and screams and hollers and fusses? You're the parent, not them. God has placed them in your care to protect. Not only do you see a mother's love demonstrated by her protection, you also see it demonstrated by her perseverance. Nobody with good sense ever said this kind of love is easy. (laughs) Rizpa persevered in demonstrating love in the face of difficulties. The Bible says in verse 9 that her sons were put to death in the first days of harvest at the beginning of barley harvest. Then verse 10 says she protected the bodies of her sons from the beginning of harvest until it rained on them from the sky. Now, again, if you're not careful, you just read over that without paying attention to what's going on. These boys were executed at the beginning of the barley harvest, which would have been late April or early May. And it would have been around October when the rains came. Now, that's between five and six months, almost half a year, that Rizba guarded the bodies of her sons. It doesn't take very much effort at all to imagine some of the difficulties Rizpa endured in that time. There's some speculation that this lady would have been in her 60s when she was doing this. It would have been in the peak of the summer, the summer heat, that Rizpa was out in the elements protecting these corpses. Scorching sun without a cloud or any shade. Waving off circling buzzards and vultures during the day. 
fighting famine-starved wild packs of dogs and hyenas roving about looking for food at night. Think about, think about being next to those bodies impaled on posts for six months, bloated, turning black, decomposing. Think about the awful stench of decaying flesh that the winds could not blow away. Think about the sights and sounds of a blizzard of flies buzzing around. You can imagine the exhaustion that plagued her aged body as she couldn't afford to get a decent, night, a decent night's sleep for keep, keeping vigil. There was the stigma she felt from the rest of Israel as it dawned on them that her children were the symbol of why God was judging Israel with a famine for the last three years. I have no doubt she was shunned like an outcast. Imagine the disgrace, the depression, and the darkness of her life during those six months. I want to tell you, that's the way it is with a mother's love. There is no sacrifice too great. You'll go to any length to protect your children, regardless of how it inconveniences you. You can do what you want with me, but don't you try to touch my children. There is no substitute for the prayers of a mother. When a mother prays for her children, it's passionate. When a mother prays for her children, it's powerful. When a mother prays for her children, it's personal. Many years ago, a survey was being conducted in a small town. When the surveyor knocked on a certain door, a woman answered. He asked the usual questions, you know, things like how long she'd lived in the house, if she was married, occupation, those kinds of things. And then, then the surveyor asked if she had any children. She replied, yes. The surveyor asked her how many children she had. She said, well, let's see, there's Willie there's Horace, and there's Grace, and there's Ethel. The surveyor interrupted her and said, I don't need names. I just want numbers. The mother replied, "Uh uh-uh. They haven't got numbers. Every one of them has a name. Listen to me today, mothers. Your son may be out of the home and may be living completely contrary to the way he was raised. You may not have even heard from your daughter in a long, long while And the last communication you had may have ended badly. There may be anger and hurt in that relationship. There may be extreme disappointment. Whatever the case, don't stop praying. Turn them over to the Lord and allow Him to do His perfect work according to His timetable in their life. You know, stop trying to tell God how to fix them. But whatever you do, don't stop praying. Don't stop calling their name out to God. In the face of difficulties, persevere in prayer. In the face of difficulties, protect them in prayer. Not only did Rizpah persevere in the face of difficulties, but she also persevered in demonstrating love in the face of danger. Can't you see this 60-something-year-old mama with a stick in one hand and a rock in the other? Standing in front of the lifeless, bloated bodies of her sons impaled on a pole, staring down a snarling, howling pack of of famine-starved dogs, flailing her arms to keep the buzzards from lighting, driving them back again and again and again, doing this every day, every night for six months. Rizba's devotion is an inspiration, an example, and a challenge to mothers everywhere. She 
preferred her children above her personal comforts. She would rather die defending them than let some wild beast have the corpse of her sons. She would make any personal sacrifice necessary. Her love for her sons caused her to identify with the suffering and embarrassment of these boys. She didn't shun them in their time of need. Her love caused her to stay with them during the months of their shame. Though her boys were grown, though she had no control over the decisions they made, though their bodies were left hanging as a sign of contempt and condemnation, she still loved them. (laughs) This is the way it is with love. When you love someone, distance is no barrier and time is no deterrent. They can spit in your face and walk away, but you still love them. They can embrace evil, but you will love them. Sometimes, some of you have experienced this, sometimes your child will do everything he or she can think of, things that are intentionally designed to create the maximum hurt in you. But deep down, it's a desperate cry of their heart, wanting to know that no matter what, you will still love them. I want to tell you, you can't love like this with human love. But those are occasions to express divine love. Those are occasions to step back and let God's love shine through you. I've talked about a mother's love recorded I want to finish up by telling you just very briefly about a mother's love rewarded. Rizpah's devotion and faithfulness was not in vain. The story goes on in verses 11 through 14 to say that when King David heard about her actions, he was moved by her perseverance. He remembered that when Saul and Jonathan had been killed by the Philistines, their bodies were left hanging on the walls of the city. And the men of Jabesh Gilead had come in the night and taken them down and hastily buried them. So now David, hearing of the devotion of Rizpah, calls for the bones of Saul and Jonathan to be exhumed. He takes those bones along with the bodies of these men over whom Rizpah had kept watch. And he gives them an honorable burial. Rizpah wanted a proper, decent burial for her sons. She never dreamed they would receive a royal burial. But that's what David does. Her love, sacrifice, devotion, and protection pays off. Her sons gained a decent burial. And Rizba gained a place in history as an example, an inspiration, and a challenge of what it means to have a mother's love. Rizba stands today for every mother who has grieved, every mother who has suffered the loss of a child, And every mother who has learned to forgive. Her story is a reminder that a mother's love is never wasted. Even death cannot dampen the flame of love. I'm particularly struck by the end of verse 14. It says, and after that, God was moved by prayer for the land. God was moved to heed the prayers of the people and end the famine following the heroic actions of this determined mother. And I just wonder, could it be that God would 
once more be moved to intervene in our land on the heels of prayers of mothers that refuse to give up on their children. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us and thank you for the love that has been demonstrated to us by mothers. Help us. Help us today, O oh Lord, to, uh, to learn from this example. Help us to take it as a challenge. Lord, some of us in this, in this service, some know what it's like to have children that have just completely dismissed faith altogether. Some know what it's like to have children that are estranged. So today, Lord, I pray for those relationships that you will heal them. First, Lord, I pray that you will heal the relationship between these children and you. That's the biggest and most important part, that they are right with you. And then I pray for the healing of relationships between parents and children. And I pray, O oh Lord, that regardless of what has happened, that you will give us a, a renewed sense of purpose and a renewed determination not to give up on our children, but to protect them. When we can't do it physically, to do it in the realm of the Spirit. And I ask, oh Lord, that you will, you will get in the mix of all of this and you will drive away all the evil influences that come against our children. And that they will have then their eyes open to the need that they have for you. You'll soften their heart make them tender toward you. I thank you for that today, Lord. Thank you for this day that we can celebrate your goodness in our lives. Amen.